greetings again, everybody. We are going to turn to Luke 15, 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, as you're turning that, a couple notes. Uh, one, I didn't bring up at the very beginning, but uh, if you were on our email list this week, you know that this Sunday, uh, around this time of year, we usually do a thing called Bless, uh, which is a covenant-wide thing, so denominational-wide thing, where we um, put down the names of people that are far from God that we're going to pray for this week and actively engage in where possible to help them come closer to God. And ultimately, salvation through Jesus is the goal and entering his kingdom. Um, at the end of the sermon, for those that uh, have participated or will participate, there's a chance to pray for those people. I'm just putting that on your horizon now. Um, we're going to read Luke 15, 1 through 7. We've been working our way backwards through Luke 15, uh, looking at lost things. As it turns out, the two lost sons, the lost coin last week, and this week, the lost sheep. Put yourself in the parable as we read it. Let's hear the words of Jesus. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. You can imagine this scenario. This is uh, real life. I encountered it as a kid, pre-kindergarten, uh, when you're able to walk and you're about knee height, give or take, if you can believe I was ever at that height. Maybe you've been in this experience or you have kids who have been in this experience where you go to the store, you're with mom or dad or some other trusted adult. And at, and at that age, like knee height matters because that's where you go to for comfort, right? When you get scared, you go hug a leg of a trusted parent. So you imagine that you're in the store, and as a little kid, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's a tendency to wander. And so sometimes they get distracted. So mom can be looking at something on the shelf, and kid can be looking at something completely different. And just for that momentary instant, kid walks around the corner to a different aisle, and all of a sudden, that kid is lost in their mind. When they realize what they were looking at was interesting, but now, where's mom? Oh wait, she's not here. And they look not at eye level, right? What do they look at? Knee level. And they go to the nearest knee that looks a lot like mom's leg or something like that. And they grasp on. And this has happened to me as a kid. Probably it happened to some of you as a kid. And then you look up and realize, oh, wait, that's not my mom. It's a moment of terror for a kid for just a momentary lapse, right? Wait a minute. What's happened here? How do I get back? Where do I go? Now, you can imagine the scenario, maybe you've experienced the scenario as a parent or as a kid. Under no circumstances do we typically see that scenario play out where the kid then looks up and says, you know, but I guess this will do. <laughs> right? Like they're not just, they don't look up and they say, well, I'm lost, but any adult will do, I'll just walk out of the store with this person. No, they're going to go back, they're going to find mom. As, as quickly as they can, whatever means they have to find mom at that age, they're going to try and do it. If you're lost, you're not going to remain lost, right? Like, we know that instinctively from being a kid. Today we're talking about things that are lost, particularly the lost sheep. 
And I have two prayers for us today to consider. And I'd like you to take one or the other, depending on where you find yourself this morning. The first prayer is this, Lord, I'm lost. Find me today. And the second prayer is this, Lord, I once was lost. Give me your heart to help find those who are. Please adopt one of those prayers this morning as where you are uh, with the Lord and with the lost this morning. And there are two connected truths that go with what we see in the text this morning. There's a lot there, but two that we'll focus on today. God is a seeking God. And secondly, God celebrates when the lost repent and come home. Those two points, I think, are clear in the text. Let's look back at verse 4. Suppose Jesus says one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? We should note a couple of things. One, he leaves it in open country. That actually is a, a good translation there. Some of you might have in the wilderness. That's less useful way of translating it because the open country is safe the wilderness is not necessarily it might not make that much of a difference to us but but it made a difference to the sheep uh how you would say this and where you would leave them now presumably the ideal is that you'd want to leave them in open country with someone else but if you're the shepherd and you're out there alone you got to do what you got to do so open country you're leaving them in safety is what you're doing to go get the lost sheep now concerning that lost sheep and the fact that the shepherd goes away Uh, Leon Morris, biblical scholar, says that the rabbis of Jesus' day and beyond, the rabbis agreed that God would welcome the penitent sinner, but it is a new idea that God is a seeking God, a God who takes the initiative. And we can understand that, right? It's easy to believe, as many did in Jesus' day, uh, that I need to do all the work to approach God, and then God will say, okay, good, you did all the work, now you can come in but that God would actively go out and seek those who are lost, seek those who aren't doing the work, is a bit of a revolutionary idea. You can contest with Morris if you want, but that idea of God being a seeking God is actually a foreign idea in the broader world of Jesus' day too. And you can see this throughout the ancient world in general, that the idea of propitiation was a big idea that people utilized well. That is to say, to give an offering to appease the wrath or anger of a god. That's propitiation in its basic sense. And so the people of Jesus' day outside of his culture even lived with this. Getting too excited here. People outside of Jesus' day even lived with this where they, people had local deities and gods all around and you'd go and worship at that, your local deity. And maybe if you're visiting a town, a neighboring town, you might put some offering towards the neighboring deity because it was believed so often that the gods were basically, you were walking on eggshell with with many of them. You could do anything to tick them off, and they were constantly at the edge of anger. And their wrath could come through uh, the weather. Their wrath could come because you said something bad under your breath. All kinds of things could happen. But they definitely weren't seeking gods in Jesus' day. And even the rabbis, the people that Jesus is, uh, and, and people that Jesus is talking to, people like that within his own Jewish world, The idea that God is a seeking God, you could see it through scripture, but in general, that wasn't always how they were living. They were trying to do the work, not necessarily expecting that God would seek them, but God would receive them once they had done the work. And an Old Testament example of where you can see sort of an offering of propitiation, although that's what the perceived propitiation is, Jonah, 
where Jonah says, throw me into the sea, that's about the best you can do to make this thing go away. Um, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's at least how they see it. You know, let's, okay, well, let's do it. Let's toss him in, right? In the modern world, like our world today, you can see as well that the idea of God being a seeking God, while I think a wonderful aspect of God's character, is sometimes pushed to the side as well. Because we have a lot of people in our broader culture who just have the attitude of, you know, God, that's good for you. It's not necessarily good for me. So you can go find that if you want. I don't need that, nor do they expect that God's seeking them out. Or you can see also like the spiritual but not religious crowd has the sort of idea that I'm going to seek out God or whatever I perceive God to be. But God's definitely not seeking me out, nor is that desirable because I want to figure it out on my own and make it up on my own. God is a seeking God, though. God is actively seeking the lost. God is actively seeking those who are far away from him. And you can see in the first sense, we need to understand that the parables that Jesus tells, all of them are about the kingdom of God. That's first and foremost what Jesus is establishing, what the kingdom of God is like. And he's telling this to his covenant people who are the flock and saying that you're supposed to be part of the flock, not wayward sheep doing your own thing. The idea, though, is that the flock would grow and flourish, including even Gentiles. Within that, God seeks all who are lost. Ultimately, God is a seeking God. That's good news this morning, isn't it? The other thing that we need to recognize is that God celebrates when the lost repent and come home. So it's not just that God is seeking and wants to find the lost. God celebrates when they come home. And there's a little, I think, we have to read the text fully to get that. Verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over what? Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's easy if we're not paying attention to look back at verse 6 and it says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep, and say, okay, the point is that the lost sheep is found. That's not where Jesus ends. He doesn't just say that the lost sheep is found and brought back to the flock. He says that one sinner who repents, there's more that Jesus is getting at there. And so we need to talk about what repentance is and the nature of repentance. Now, I will say this. Uh, some of this material for the like half a dozen of you that listen to the First Covenant Church Behind the Text podcast, you've heard this before. You can tune out. Um, it's the repentance Three bits of repentance. If you want to look more at it, you can go to the website and find that, and you'll get a little more uh, flourish than you'll get today. But it's worth covering. What is repentance? Because the Bible treats repentance sort of at three different levels, but it's only really the third level that's full, true repentance, and that's what Jesus is actually talking about. But let's walk through those different levels of repentance. Repentance, first and foremost, is a judgment call. At its basic level, to repent is to at least make the judgment that something is wrong. And we're all capable of doing that. It's just a question of if we actually do it. Warren Wearsby, commenting on this passage of Scripture that we're reading, says the sheep was lost because of foolishness. Sheep have a tendency to go astray, he says, and that is why they need a shepherd. So the sheep was lost because of foolishness. Right? It just wandered away. It just wasn't being wise in doing so. Now, what's the image of the sheep that we should have? We could have a number of different images, but we do want to note that Jesus doesn't give us a lot of latitude to go a lot of different ways because he can wreck the whole thing pretty quickly and go in wrong directions. But we can at least say this. The shepherd carries the sheep back on his shoulders. Perhaps he's doing it for expediency because 
he needs to, but perhaps the sheep is in a weakened state because it was out too long and it didn't eat right, it didn't drink enough water. Perhaps the sheep was standing on a cliff uh, in peril. Perhaps it was injured. Perhaps it had gotten in some way wounded. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't want us to speculate too wildly on that. We just know that the shepherd carries it back for whatever reason. But I can tell you this. Repentance is a judgment call. It's at least acknowledging that you're lost. You're away from the flock. Something's wrong in life. You need rescue. That's judgment. I had a professor in college um, who told his story uh, of coming to Christ, and it started in a remarkably, I'd say foolish, but interesting way. He was in the military. He was in Hawaii at the time, and he had an extended period of a couple days off where he decided um, to go and sit on the edge of a cliff overlooking the ocean in Hawaii where he was stationed, and he brought with him his marijuana so he could sit there and smoke a joint on the cliff overlooking the ocean. And uh, he, as he told it, he said, you know, it wasn't real smart because it was a long way down. There were a lot of rocks on the way. And he said, as I sat there and I looked, I thought, eh, you don't survive a fall like this. So he sits there on the edge of the cliff and he proceeds to fall off the cliff on accident. Stands up, dusts himself off, realizes he doesn't have a single scratch and he's still alive, walks up to the top of the hill. Can you guess what he did? Sat right back down on the edge of the cliff, doing the exact same thing he had been doing before, and then proceeds to fall again. Picks himself up, dusts himself up, not a scratch, still alive, walks up to the top of the hill and thinks to himself, I don't think I'll survive a third fall. I should do something different. And then it all, eventually he, he comes to Christ after all that. Repentance is a judgment call that something's wrong. You shouldn't continue doing that thing anymore. It's pretty simple like that. Now, I want to give us some bad news before I give us good news, and we're going to touch the bad news a couple times. The bad news is not all who are lost will be found. Some people will not turn. Some people won't allow themselves to allow that to happen. Even though God is a seeking God, not everybody's going to allow themselves to be found by God. That's the unfortunate reality. What makes the difference, though, for those who are found are things like remorse, are things like regret, are the actual just simple acknowledgement, something's wrong. That's repentance level one. The good news is it's simple enough that it begins with a change of mind. That's where repentance starts. And so the question for all of us is, are you currently wounded? Are you currently lost? Are you currently broken? Internally or externally or however it comes. Are you sitting on a cliff in need of rescue right now, knowing that something is wrong that needs to be made right? If you're at that point, you need to make the judgment call and acknowledge that. That's the first stage of repentance. The second thing about repentance, where we get into the true nature of repentance, and again, all three of these are covered in, uh, throughout the Bible, Repentance is turning from that which is wrong and turning towards that which is right. It's a two-step is what it is. And that which is right is godly is what it is. Repentance begins, of course, as we said, admitting something is wrong, but, but you have to then course correct. You don't fall off the cliff the third time, essentially. 
Now, we can hear a lot of lies about the, the need or lack of need of actually doing all of this around us, and some of those infiltrate the church, right? Um, so the bad news we said is not all who are lost will be found. Uh, that is to say, some sheep won't be saved because they're going to make it really hard for the seeking God, and they're just not going to repent, right? There is a choice and an agency that we have in this, and that's difficult because then we come to the the idea very quickly that we're like, well, wait, God is love, right? God's going to let some sheep just not make it? Is that really what scripture tells us? And, and there's a belief out there called universalism that says everybody's going to be saved in the end, right? I would say that this is an error and it's not a biblical point, nor is it the point of the parable, but sometimes we can turn here in, without even thinking about it, right? The assumption of the idea of universalism is that everybody's going to be saved, thus there's no hell or anything like that, or punishment or separation from God, or however you're quantifying that. And God loves me would be the implication. So I can be a wandering sheep, or I can be a faithful sheep, or whatever I can be, but God's going to rescue me in the end, even if I'm on a cliff and carry me back to the flock. And this belief is sort of evidenced around us in our don't judge me culture. Right? This is evidence around us in your don't push religion on me culture. All paths go to the same thing anyways. Here's my coexist bumper sticker. Right? That's how we see it around us. But it infiltrates the church as well and has been for some times when we exclusively focus on the love of God and when we exclusively focus on being made in the image of God, both of which are biblical truths but are not the fullness of the story. Right? God's got more character attributes than simply love. In fact, holiness is right next to it as God's goodness. And the fact of the matter is, even though we're made in the image of God, we carry the brokenness of sin in this world, and it needs to be fixed, repaired. In fact, you'll find very little in the New Testament about being made in the image of God that's assumed. You'll find a whole lot about being put back together and made whole again, because we are wandering sheep who wandered from the flock. You see, the sheep is carried home on the shepherd's shoulders. He's carried home to salvation. He's carried home to be healed. He's carried home to be restored. The sheep is not carried home to affirm his lostness. The sheep is not carried home to tell everybody else that his wounds are how God created him. The sheep is not carried home to affirm his otherness and difference from the flock. He's carried home to be healed and made with, right with the flock and with the shepherd, to be put back in order, to be justified and made right, not to return to the cliff and redefine what the flock is. Repentance is turning from and turning towards, and ultimately the third level of repentance then is not just turning from that which is wrong and turning towards that which is right, but, and this is just a great way to think about it, is coming home. That's what repentance is coming home. Isn't it nice to go on a long vacation and get away and you drive back into your driveway or your parking spot or wherever you live and you walk back into the door and you're home. It feels kind of good, doesn't it? It's good to come home. That's what repentance is. Like I was talking about with Jesus, he doesn't give us a ton of latitude to speculate and we don't want too much on what happened to the sheep while it was away from the flock, but all kinds of things could happen, right? If it's long too way, away too long, malnutrition or it could uh, lack water, certainly fear and anxiety can come in very quickly 
to a lost sheep once it realizes it's lost, just like the kid in the store who all of a sudden realizes they're away from mom or dad. Cuts, scrapes, bruises, broken bones, the possibility of getting eating, eaten by a wild animal, all those things are possible. Stuff that needs attention to be fixed, but those kinds of things happen to us in this life as well. How many of us face uh, brokenness internally or externally or fear, anxiety that's really worked a number on us and we need to be healed? Right? We can ask in a different way, what kind of soul injury happens to us when we wander from God? An awful lot. And one reason we don't turn to God, one reason we would ignore that initial seeking God and not turn in that first instance is we just don't trust God. We just don't trust that with God it will be better or that what's broken will be fixed. We end up being like the prodigal son who we read about weeks ago who's eating at the pig trough and we just stay there not realizing there's a feast being offered to us. We end up being like the sheep out in the, the wilderness, not the safe pastures, but the wilderness lost and away from the flock and from the shepherd, needing healing but not taking the shepherd up on it. Right? The shepherd carries the sheep back home. Ultimately, repentance is coming home again. I said at the very beginning, I had, I had two prayers for you. So the first prayer is, uh, if you adopted this, is, Lord, I'm lost, find me today. We said, really, the first sense of repentance is just making an acknowledgement. We do have a seeking God who's seeking you and me right now, even if we haven't been found, and a God who celebrates when people repent and come home, when they recognize what's wrong and the wounds that this life has given, and they come home to be healed by the Savior, Jesus. That's the God we worship. Are you on a cliff right now in need of God's rescue and the shepherd's care? Let yourself be found today if that's you. And I want to take time to pray right now for that. I want to pray that we would in fact be found if we're lost. So would you join me in prayer for that? Lord, there are many of us who feel lost today. For some of us, we've chosen to follow your son, Jesus Christ, and take uh, his, allow his blood to wash over us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled with you, but we still feel lost today. We feel estranged from you. Lord, bring us close. May your spirit work in our lives that we would experience your presence today in new ways, in ways we've never experienced before, that we would hear your voice in ways that, that are... Uh, unimaginable and that we can't pass off as anything else. And Lord, for those of us who are in the position where we've never said yes to Jesus Christ, may right now be the moment. Lord, if we're sitting at home or in the room and we know, we know that something needs to be changed, we absolutely know that something needs to be changed, we need to be made right, things are wrong in this world, Lord, we say yes to your son, Jesus Christ, right now. If that's you, say yes to Jesus right now. Lord, make us whole. Rescue us. Don't let us be lost in the wilderness. Bring us back to the flock. Yes, we are unique sheep in the flock, but we're still part of the flock, Lord. So make us whole. Make us complete in you and part of your kingdom today. Amen. Now, the other thing I want to bring up before we sing our final song is I want to, I said this is we're going to have a moment for bless, and it's virtual this year. It's going to come out. If you're on the email list, there's another round coming out, and then we'll send it out on Tuesday again. So if you're not on the email list and you're in the room or at home, sign up so you can get that. Um, they're confidential. Nobody's sharing your, the names you put on there. But uh, they get prayed uh, here all the way up 
um, through the conference and denomination as well by people throughout our denomination. We pray for kind of general, the names in that. You pray specifically for the names. But I want to give us time in just a moment to pray for those names that are on our heart or that need to be on our heart. So let me read uh, just the first words again of Jesus in verse 4. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Suppose one of you, do you see how Jesus wants you to put yourself in the parable right there? Suppose one of you is like God who loses those who are lost to him. The other prayer I said was, Lord, I once was lost. Help me have this heart, your heart, to find those who are lost. That's what bless is about. And so the band's going to play. I'm going to encourage you to take the first sort of 30 seconds of the song. If you've already written down names, pray for those names. Pray for them out loud. Pray for them silently, whatever. And if you don't have names yet that you've put down, ask God, who needs to be on my list? We're going to take conscious time to pray for those people right now. When you're done, stand and sing. 